We're going to talk about hospitality today. We're going to talk about God as the host next week and, and, and how he wants us to behave. Next week, God as guest we are, we as hosts. So uh, that's kind of where we're headed. Then Pastor Nate uh, will be here the third week and he'll talk more experientially, I think, about hospitality. So I'm going to offer a prayer. Uh, then we'll get into one of the most common Psalms, uh, Psalm 23, but I'm going to ask you to listen to it in a way like you don't know anything about it yet, um, just so you hear it again for the first time. Let's pray together. Lord, your words, not mine. Your heart, not mine. And ask, Lord, that you give me eyes to see, me ears to hear, and me a receiving heart to receive whatever it is you want me to see, hear, and receive. And I pray that same thing for every one of us sitting here, that you're giving us a message, you're speaking to us, you're telling us something about your character and about what kind of character you want to build in us. So help us see what you want us to see, hear what you want us to hear, and receive what you want us to receive. And Lord, if there's something I plan to say that you don't want said, I don't want to say it. But if there's something you want said that I haven't thought of, make it clear that it's from you, and I will speak your word to your people. Be blessed in this as you bless us. In Jesus' name, amen. David was a, David was a shepherd before he was a king. In fact, he was the youngest of all the kids, and when they were picking the new king, they kind of Dad didn't even think enough of David to bring him to the lineup. Um, but there was another, so they wanted to get him. So, but David, David's a shepherd, and then he was a king. And I think, me, personally, I, I try to read things. I, I, I'm not, I got a confession. I'm not a huge fan of the Psalms, and here's why. I love, it's, it's God's Word. I don't think there's anything in here that isn't true. Um, but it just feels intimate to me. It feels like I'm reading someone else's love letters or someone else's anxious prayers. And so it always feels awkward for me. If, if, like if, if when Lynn and I, when we used to have to write letters back and forth before email and now texting or whatever else, if someone would have intercepted those letters when I was in the hospital and she was at camp, or, or it just would have been awkward for that person. It certainly would have been awkward for me. So I always feel a little like I'm, like I'm reading somebody else's mail when I'm reading a psalm. But David was a shepherd. And so I, I, I start thinking... If Dave is a shepherd and he's talking about God being the shepherd, I'm just going to try to read it the way I think. I don't know. I'm not there. And I'll meet him one day and he'll tell me how wrong I was. But I'm going to read it like David as a shepherd writing about shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd and I won't be in want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Now, it's interesting to me that David... I don't, I, I don't think that most English teachers who are teaching poetry would really like this that much because it starts off with the Lord, and then it's your rod and staff, they comfort me, and then it's, again, what he does. So he switches person. He, he's first talking about, and then he's talking to, but I think there's something beautiful in that, that God, David is a shepherd. He goes, I'm a shepherd. I understand what that means, but, but who, who shepherds the shepherd? God is my shepherd, and, and, and he... He knows where to go. See, David was trained up. 
probably by his older brothers, maybe by his dad, to be a shepherd. Here's something we don't always know about shepherds. Now, we'll get to the hospitality piece in a minute, but I can't, I can't let the first section of this psalm go away just to talk about the last section. Um, something we might not know about shepherds, because we, we think about it, and we always have that picture of Jesus and that kind of oil painting, and, and he's got a lamb. He's got blue eyes because he's British. Shepherds were kind of tough. And when predators would come, they had that rod and that staff, and they would beat off, they would make a lot of noise, but they'd beat off wolves. They're, they're, not, they're not wimpy. But the other thing about shepherds that we not know, might not know, and David's dad communicated it to him, um, or his brothers, but he knew where the lands that you could graze your sheep were. He also knew and was trained up to know where bandits like to hide. He knows which wells are good, which pools of water are stagnant and might kill your sheep. So he, and he knows what, what needs to be grazed and what needs to be left alone. So the sheep don't know any of that. They just know that the shepherd leads them. And because David has been a shepherd, he's not going to lead his sheep into harm's way. He's going to make sure that they have good water, they have good grass, that they rest when they need to, because he knows what we're doing tomorrow. He knows how far we're going tomorrow. The shepherd knows best. But as sheep, Sometimes, and I want you to look at my lips because I'm going to use a word that you have to hear the first, the first consonant. It's a B, okay? My friend Laura has a word that she uses when she gets a little bucky. Say, she, when you kind of get pushback or we get a little bucky with God with these rules and these regulations or these, these, these things that we can't do. See, there are sometimes when a shepherd is leading sheep into property that does not belong to that shepherd's dad. And so you can't go there because then you're trespassing. And so the shepherd's job is to keep the sheep within the boundaries of which they're allowed to be. That's God's job with us. He set up some boundaries and there's only, there are rules, but there's 10 of them. There's more in Yahtzee than there are in the 10 commandments. Don't do these three things, do this thing, don't do these five things. There's more rules in football. Zealand East, any Zealand East football players here? No, there's some Zealand West football players here, right? You played on Friday as well, you just played elsewhere. But if you were at the Zealand East football game on Friday, and, and, and I were playing and I would never play anymore because everything breaks, but I, I, was a, I was a tight end. I'm very slow, but I had good hands. I was a tight end. So if, if I did a down and out, and I'm on the sideline, and the quarterback throws a pass, and I reach up and I get it, and I had to jump a little bit, and I land one inch out of bounds, is that a reception? I'm out of bounds, right? What if I run up the bleachers, slide down the back, go out into the parking lot, catch a pass? Am I out of bounds? I'm out of bounds, right? So there's boundaries that God sets up not to deny us pleasure, but we think sometimes, we act sometimes like the shepherd doesn't want us eating that good grass over there. It's because we might die if we go there. He's trying to protect us from pain. We get bucky sometimes in pushing back on God's boundaries. What if the football team decided that we're going to make up our own rules? Touchdown, how do you know? Called it? Doesn't work. Neither does life. Life does not work without the shepherd knowing what's best for the sheep and leading the sheep. And the sheep do best when they follow the shepherd. With that in mind, let's look at the last half of this psalm. 
because there's some really cool stuff here that you might not normally see because you hear this psalm at funerals. Sometimes you hear it at weddings, and, and it's always this comforting thing, and it is comforting to know that God has your best in mind. But there's some things that are even of greater comfort here, and it shows that God is hospitable, that God is a host, that God wants to give to you and wants to give to others. It reads like this. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Now, anyone here have enemies? Oh, no, I'm not going to have you put your hands up. I have seven. I'm not going to name them, and they're not my enemy, but they've decided I'm theirs. And there's nothing I can do about it. Some of them actively sought to make sure that harm came to me. I'm not going to feel sorry for myself, but I can tell you that it really bothers them that I didn't have to move 2,000 miles away to take a new charge. I can tell you that they hate the fact that I get to present the gospel to people and that I get to present the gospel to as many people as I get to present the gospel to. They don't like that at all. Why? Because they don't want good for me and they don't want God to show blessing on me. They want God, they want good for them and they want God to show blessing on them. Now, I can't control what they think, but I can tell you this. When David says, my shepherd, my God, he, he, he prepares a table before me in the presence of my enemies. If I'm the enemy, doesn't that just burn you up? If you see the king or you see the owner of the house and this, oh, I can't stand this. Think of the prodigal son and his, and his brother. You know, when son comes back and he gets fat and cow gets, or fat and calf gets, gets slaughtered and, and he gets this big feast. And he's like, I've been here the whole time doing everything right. And I never even asked for a single little pig. It burns. David is saying God loves so much that he will publicly acknowledge how much he loves me even if it makes other people furious. And then he says, he says that you anoint my head with oil. Do you know what anointing is about? David, when he was anointed king, had oil pour, poured over his head. A woman who, who people called, they said it was wasteful, but a woman took perfume and dumped it all over Jesus. The, the word Christ or Christos means anointed one. It means to be set aside and, and, and the favor of God poured on you. So David here is saying that this is how God treats us, that he, he sets me apart and he pours his favor. I become a favorite of his and my cup overflows. It just goes back to the first line. I shall not be in want. My cup overflows. I will never be thirsty again. Surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Where's the Lord's house? Heaven. And it is. I'm not, I can't wait to see it. But it's not some cloudy place with streets of gold. See, the Christian Reformed Church in North America, that's a sister congregation or sister denomination to the RCA. They have a, we have these things we call standards or confessions. We have like the Heidelberg Catechism and the, the everyone has the, the creeds, but the Catechism, the Canons of Dort. And, and, uh, but the Christian Reformed Church has an extra one. It's called the Contemporary Testimony. It's titled... Our world belongs to God. And it articulates sexuality. It articulates how God is Lord over politics, how God is Lord over how we treat the poor and, and over the poor. He's, he's God over our wealth. He's God over every, everything. There is not an inch of this planet is, that is not owned by God, that is not his dwelling place. If you think about it, God created and then he, then he made us 
And he said, I'm going to let you name and steward and care and take, take dominion over, but just remember who, who it belongs to. And when we decided, nope, I'm not, it doesn't belong to you, it belongs to me. I'm not going to do it your way, I'm going to do it my way. Everything fell apart, but God's desire, God's heart, his character, his, his idea that he wants to be a host, that he wants us in his world, us in his home, us, us to live in the world that God has made. What does he, how does he show that he wants us to live? What is his character? I'm going I'm to read a passage of scripture that won't be on the screen, but I want you to know that the idea of hospitality, the idea of, of caring for the needs of others, the idea of representing God well out in the world, not just between one another, is such a big deal that Job, the suffering Job, who was called by God as the most righteous on, in the world, I want you to see that the way that Job knew that he had been faithful to God is how he treated other people. That's why he's astonished at the fact that he's suffering so badly because of some divine and demonic seeming wager. But he, I'll read it to you. This is in Job 29. It's after his counselors, his friends have come and they told him, it must be your fault, it must be your fault, it must be your fault. And Job knows better. But so that you know what God thinks faithfulness is, listen to this and I'll give you some New Testament examples and then we'll go from there. It reads like this. How long, how I long for the months gone by when the, for the days when God watched over me, when his lamp shone upon my head and by his light I walked through darkness. Oh, for the days when I was in my prime, when God, God's intimate friendship blessed my house, when the Almighty was still with me and my children were around me, when, when, my, when my path was drenched with cream and the rock poured out for me streams of olive oil. When I went to the city gate, to the gate of the city and took my seat in the public square, the young men saw me and they stepped aside and the old men rose to their feet. The chief men refrained from speaking. They covered their mouth, their mouths with their hands. The voices of the nobles were hushed and their tongues stuck to the top of their mouths. Whoever heard me spoke well of me and those who saw me commended me because I rescued the poor who cried for help and the fatherless who had none to assist them. The man who was dying blessed me. I made a widow's heart sing. I put on righteousness as my clothing. Justice, justice was my robe and my turban. When, my eye, or when I was eyes to the blind and feet to the lame, I was father to the needy. I took up the case of the stranger. I broke the fangs of the wicked and snatched the victims from their teeth. How did Job know? that he had been faithful to God. He had a character that was like the character of God. And God is always looking out for the interest of the other, not self. Job was highly esteemed and named the most righteous man on the planet because he was concerned about other and not self. That is very un-American. But individually, this country is full of some of the most generous and hospitable people on the planet. So what is hospitality? Well, Jesus says this. He says, when I was naked, you didn't give me any clothes. When I was in prison, you didn't come to visit me. 
When I was hungry, you didn't give me anything to eat. And when I was uh, thirsty, you didn't, you didn't give me anything to drink. When? When, did you, when were you naked? When were you hungry? When were you in prison? What you have done to the least of these, you have done to me. What you have not done unto the least of these, you have not done unto me. Hospitality literally means to strengthen the arm of a stranger. It's loving or serving the one who's not part of you or your family. I'm not hospitable by nature in my home. I'm just going to admit this. Lynn was kind of giggling all week. What are you preaching on? Hospitality. How are you going to do that? Because I, I can be sitting down watching my fishing videos or whatever. Downstairs, I have a little couch and a TV down there, and I'm YouTubing. And bing, bong. Someone's at the door. Dog goes, rah, 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 rah. <laughs> So my instinct is, oh, who wants to sell me windows the other day, someone tried to come and tell me, well, kill all the spiders around your house for $600 a year. Spiders are fine with me. My, uh, someone wants to sell me magazine. Magazine? Who reads magazines anymore? You know, a kid wants to buy pop cans. That's fine. But it's just my instinct is when someone comes to the door, isn't like Lynn's. When the doorbell rings and Lynn's downstairs, we might have company. Who might be coming to see me? This is wonderful. And I'm like, oh, I hope she gets the door before I have to. It's not my nature when I'm at home. And I hope that I've earned the right with you. I hope, I may not have, but I hope over the years that I've talked enough about how I fail to have, to have earned the right to tell you something I do okay. And I'm gonna give you one example of, of, of scripture that I'm trying to put in action. Because the scripture says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility, consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. I'm gonna use an example, and this is where I'm taking Greg's name in vain, apparently. Greg, are you in here? Yeah, okay, here we go again. <laughs> He's in the back. We've had 16 funerals in this church this year. And all the funerals that we host, any pastor that it can make it suits up and we all sit right there. We go, we meet with the family together. We come in, we walk in before the casket. We sit here. And then when we leave, we walk out, we go out to the funeral coach. When the casket gets loaded in, we watch it. We follow the coach until it leaves the property. Because as long as that person is under our care, they are under our care. And so we, we, we think it's important that the, that, that the rite of passage of someone going from life to death to everlasting life should be represented by those who are set aside to represent God. But of those 16 funerals, I've officiated two. I believe that, that Kurt won or two. I know Kurt has helped a little bit, but, but Greg has had 12 to 13 of those. And I don't know how he does it. And almost every one of those people he's spent time in the hospital with, he's walked with the family. And, and I, don't know how he, I don't know how he has the compassion to keep going. But I can tell you one thing, he loves people very, very well. And if you spend time with Greg, if you're ever in the hospital and, and he visits you, you think that he has more time available to him than, than anyone on the planet and that you are the most important person in the world. And you know what's true? You are. When he's there, you're the most important person in the world to him. He knows how to love people. So on funerals, he comes out, like on yesterday, he walked out here. I got here half an hour early, all suited up. He, he's out here, I, I see white shirt, no coat. Okay, Greg came down to check on, make sure everything was okay, and he got caught up. 
good, because he's doing Greg. So what do I do? I try to do, I try this every time. I go up to his office. I get his folder that has his notes in it. I find it. I know if his mic isn't there, I'm going to bring that to him. Or it's up there. I'm going to bring his coat. He calls me his valet. I'm going to help him get his coat on. I'm going to make sure that his mic is wired right. I'm going to make sure that his, he's got his stuff here. And when the funeral's over, after we see the coach drive away and we walk back in, I always come in first. I come down that door. I come right up here. I grab his stuff. If he's left something there, I take it right out this door where we greet people as they walk into the gym. And I put, him up, put his stuff up on the shelf. And when he comes over here and he starts greeting, I get his mic and I put it up on the shelf. And while he's still being Greg, I take his stuff and I put it up. And yesterday I forgot to charge his battery on his mic. Here's why. Not because I need Greg, I need to flatter Greg or anything else like that, but Greg loves people, so someone needs to be loving Greg. And I'm not trying to equate myself with Jesus, but don't, doesn't that sound like something Jesus would do? Someone is trying to meet the needs of others, so I'm going to meet the need of the person who's trying to meet the need of others. That, friends, is in part hospitality. He's no stranger to me. It's fellowship. It's just considering the needs or desires or wants of another before the needs and wants and desires of self. The other is what Christ says is most important. Imagine what would happen if we saw our job everywhere we go because we live in God's world. We dwell in the house of the Lord forever, not just when we go to heaven, but right now. What happened that every time you went into a restaurant, you had this idea that someone's cup needs to overflow. The other day, Lynn and I were at Red Robin, and we, we noticed a, a, a couple leaving. And they walk out. They're about our age, and they walk out. They're right at the door, and the husband kind of stops and goes, hold on just a second. Pulls out his wallet, takes $40, walks over to this, to this couple that's sitting there. Uh, husband, wife, daughter, 9 to 11 years old. He's got a beer. I don't know what she's drinking. Um, we're sitting over. And, and he goes, I don't, I don't know why. Don't ask me why, but I feel like I should pay for your dinner. Throws down 40 bucks, says, God bless, and walks away. Now, no idea why that would happen. But I wish that I was sitting there long enough to hear that daughter ask that dad, did you know him? Nope. Why did he do that? No idea. Now, who knows? They might have had this discussion on the way over there. I don't know. Maybe they were, they were, this is the last dinner before they divorced. I have no idea. I didn't stick around. I don't know. But what if they had this idea that there's not a good person left in the world? God doesn't even notice us. And someone who's walking out the door gets this little prompting that says, I have 40 bucks. Walk away. Has anything like that ever happened to you? That you think that things are going along great and there's this abundant blessing or things are just kind of tough and this tiny little grace moment touches you, makes your heart sing. Have you ever been that parent? with the kids that are crying at the checkout lane and you got your debit card and you go and you sling that thing in there and it gets rejected and you've got 14 people behind you because it's day before Thanksgiving at Meyer. You got the last turkey. They're already mad at you and you got a kid going, I want a candy bar. And now everyone, and you're like, oh, I don't have a checkbook. What if you were behind that person and you walked up with your debit card and you just said, you know what? $125 in groceries. You'd slide it in there, punch in your pen. It's on me. Oh, you don't have to do that. I'll pay you back. Give me your address. No, no, no. I've been there and you're not alone. What if? 
How many things? What if when you're driving down the road and you see that person in the middle of January that's walking out by the, the speedway near the highway and it's freezing and their car, you saw the car, the blinkers aren't going very much anymore because they're covered with snow and they're walking, they're freezing and you're like, I don't want to be cold. What if every time you stopped, what if every time someone cut you off in traffic, you said, Lord, bless them because they're probably on the way to the hospital with some dangerous injury instead of, they, the world belongs to you. What if we were a people that tried to look for opportunities to anoint, metaphorically, to anoint the head with oil and to overflow the cup? That is God's character. For God so loved the world that he gave his son. God isn't first to receive. God is first to give. God is the host we are the guests, but he asks us to steward, not when he's not present, because I don't believe in the Lord's absence, but let me put it to you this way. My son, Cam, is in Bali right now. He left yesterday or today. I don't know. It's tomorrow there in, in, in Australia. My daughter is in Bali because it's a five-year anniversary with her husband, and so they left New Zealand. Cam left Australia. They're both, maybe they see each other today or tomorrow or yesterday. I don't know. Um, but and then he's going to go to the Philippines or, or Vietnam and then the Philippines for a couple of weeks. Then he's going to be back in the States. He's going to be with us for a couple of weeks. Let's say that he's with us for a couple of weeks around Thanksgiving and Lynn and I have a trip planned. And in the meantime, we're hosting missionaries at our house. Now, our job as, or as hosts is to make sure that people have refrigerator rights. They can, they can help yourself. But we want to make sure they have clean towels not dirty towels. We want to make sure that their sheets are clean and everything and that they have what they need, right? Because that's what hosts do. But if we had to leave and those people are still sitting there, would we expect my son, our son, to treat, to, to, to aggravate them or to treat them as we would while we're gone? We're not looking for them to go, hey, you know what? Parents are gone. Get out. We're not looking for our son to, in our, in our stead, to, to go, you know, wash your own darn towels. That's not what we're expecting. We're expecting him to look out for their needs as we would. That's what God does with us. He expects us to have his character, which is generous, which is hospitable, which looks for the stranger and an opportunity to care for them. The sun shines on the wicked and the righteous. The rain waters the crops of the wicked and the righteous. God is gracious whether someone knows that God is gracious or not, whether they're against him or for him. God still adores them. God doesn't look at anyone and go, I can't wait for you to go to hell. It's not his nature. Just like he didn't kick the woman who was caught in adultery. Is there no one less to condemn you? No one, sir. Then I do. That's not what he does. He wants what's best for you. And he wants what's best even for your enemy. And he wants you to behave toward them as he behaves toward you. Why? Because we're dwelling in his house not ours. What if we became individual persons who had an idea that we're going to look for opportunities to anoint heads with oil and to overflow cups? What if we look for opportunities to, to, to the person that no one pays attention to, we're going to pay attention to them. To the person that no one serves, we're going to serve them. And even to the stranger, we're just going to look for an opportunity to bless. What if every time you went into a restaurant, you looked around, if you can afford it, you looked around and you said, hey, honey, whose meal we want to buy today? 
And we just leave them a little note. The Lord bless you. What if? It would certainly be countercultural. Because we're supposed to look out for ourselves and not the other. What if God looked out for himself and not the other? This would be a very thin book. It would end in Genesis 3, and we wouldn't know another word about the character, the life of God or his people, because there would be no his people. But God has spent 2,000, 4,000, 5,000 years trying to tell us, love the Lord your God with everything you have, and love your neighbor as you love yourself. Jesus, when he was asked, what are the, what's the most important commandment? He said, Shema Israel Adonai Eloheinu Adonai Echad. The Lord your God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all, with all your heart, strength, soul, and mind, and love your neighbor as you love yourself. Love God, love your neighbor, don't forget about you. But he doesn't say, love God, make sure you're taken care of, and then think about others. So I hope that this pokes you a little bit. I hope it reminds you a lot. And I hope it shows you more of the character of God. Because God is host. We are guest. But what we find out next week in the birth of Jesus, that God makes himself a guest and we are hosts. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for being a generous host. Thank you for saying that everything that belongs to you is at our disposal. Even the power of God that raised Jesus from the dead lives in us. There is nothing that can't be accomplished with you. Nothing. Help us trust, know, and bless you as we bless others. Lord, make it so we see the goodness, the love that follows us all the days of our lives and help us give that goodness, that love, that mercy, that, that all those praiseworthy things, help us give those to others so that they too can dwell in your house forever. In Jesus' name, amen. Coming. The Lord bless you and keep you and make his face shine on you, be gracious to you. And he has. The Lord turn his countenance toward you smile at you and give you peace. And all of God's people say, amen. Go with and in the peace of Christ.